Welcome to Issue Zero. I'm your host, Fred Kennedy. And uh, now we're still hammering away on the new episodes of Mud 79, our totally unauthorized Star Wars radio play. We expect to have the first one ready by October 27th, and then we'll be releasing a new one every two weeks until the first arc is all wrapped up, okay? I was doing some editing on Episode 7 just last night, and I gotta tell you, they're really good. You're not gonna believe the action. It's good. It's amazing. The kids would say... Epic, I think. But I figured it would be cool to speak with some of the people who have helped make this entire thing possible. Because let's remember, I didn't do this on my own. First of all, there's a contemptible harpy of a producer, Dila, who's gotten some heat in reviews. Let me tell you, she's actually helped me figure out my active tenses. So if the next few episodes feel more action heavy, trust me, it's not just blaster cannons going off. It's her temper. Then there's the voice cast. They're amazing. And that's what we're doing here today. I wanted to speak with some of the people who have been involved in it about their experiences with Mud 79. So I wanted to start with Marilla Wex. Now, she's my golden tuna, all right? Massive voice talent, long list of credits to her name. Some of them she can talk about, some of them she can't do to NDAs. But yeah, I was maybe two, three pages into writing the very first chapter when I reached out to her, shot my shot, and she agreed to be part of it. Uh, the second person I wanted to talk to about this is Sean Hatton. Sean is a big deal in the nerd media community. Reviews on the run, the Electric Playground, Vintage Tech Hunters, a slew of other projects. He's also one of my favorite human beings in the world because he's a rad guy. And he was the second person I spoke to about it, and he immediately said yes. So. I figured they'd be the people I would start with. So we're going to chat with Marilla first. And Marilla, you do know you were the first person I reached out to to be part of this, right? Yeah, maybe. I did. I, I, it was funny. I was actually, we were watching Rise of Skywalker at home yeah. with my kids. And then I, I had the idea and I kind of started writing it, but I didn't know if I could get anybody on board. And so I just, I shot you a message while I was watching it and you were like, absolutely. I was shocked. <laughs> so yeah, I'll do it. Now, when I contacted you about a star Wars radio play and you were like, I'm in, in your head, did it sound anything like what it is right now? No, because I didn't, I thought there was going to be more back and forth. I thought it was going to be, which is impossible to do during COVID. Um, but when I've done radio plays for the BBC, you're basically all in a studio together, which obviously is not doable. Um, so in my head, that's what I was thinking. But that's only because that that's what my ex personal experience with radio plays has been previously. So this is completely different then? Yeah, because you're narrating the majority of it and we're just jumping in with stuff to kind of highlight the action scenes, which is great. You know, the reason I do that is because I don't feel it's appropriate to get everybody doing all this voice work and not be able to compensate because it's a lot of work man <laughs> yeah it's a lot of work unless you're me and you do it in two takes in about <laughs> a minute and a half because i'm a smart ass that's right because you're the best well obvs. yeah so now you're like a lifelong fan of star wars do you remember uh the moment you became a Star Wars fan, like where it wasn't just a movie anymore. It was something more than that. Well, uh, I'm really, really old. So I went to see 
uh, episode four when it came out in the UK when I was seven in 1977. So, like, I, from the get-go, I was like, this is the best! Uh, and was completely obsessed with everything to do with Star Wars. So, like, I, I don't remember specifically, but the excitement of me and my sister, who was way too young to be going to see Star Wars, she was five, we were like, my parents were like, no, we're going. And we were like, hooray, we don't know what this is. And then we were, you know, my sister's terrified. And, uh, no, it was incredible. So, like, right from the first movie, seeing it at, at the cinema was like this is my favorite thing ever. So I have a huge amount of nostalgia for the original three movies, obviously. So who's your favorite character? Oh, Han Solo. Didn't even have to think about it. <laughs> it's just like, yep, he's, he's sarcastic. He's smooth. Uh, yeah, he's the, my favorite easily. So did you like the Solo movie? Uh, it was okay. It was fine. That's so that's so beige, isn't it? It was fine. That's what Canadians say. It's fine. <laughs> I'm now Canadian. Uh, it was okay. I preferred um, uh, Rebel One. Rogue One. Uh, Rogue One, thank you. I'm away from my computer, so I have no thoughts or recall. Um, I preferred Rogue One. Um, if we're going to talk about the in-between, between movies mm-hmm. um but yeah solo was fine i mean it was hugely enjoyable but it wasn't my favorite yeah that, that, but they're that, all great like i don't hate any of them that's not true jar jar banks we, we can talk about that <laughs> i that's funny like I, that's what i always say like even bad star wars i still enjoy it it's just i don't yeah. like it as much as the others I mean, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna revisit one, two, and three very often unless I'm at someone's house where they're like, "We're doing a marathon." I'm like, "Okay." Otherwise, it's like, no, I'm just gonna stick with four, five, and six. You know, on, having on repeat, having watched them again with my kids, one, two, and three are are different in the way that I watch them when I'm watching it with them, you know, because they're not coming into it with this lifelong fandom and then seeing it for them. This is all new. And it's wild how I've, after rewatching them, I think the Phantom Menace is the best out of the three. Uh, Even with all the Jar Jar Binks, I still think it's the best one out of the three. And it was way better than I remembered it being like that to this day, the scene where Darth Maul, the doors open up and he holds out that lightsaber, and then the oh, I know, oh, it's just and you, and you do and you do a little shit in your pants. Absol- You're like, no, this is terrifying. <laughs> it's amazing. Da da da! That lightsaber is so good. It really is. That's true. That's true. I just. I really want the conspiracy theory about Jar Jar Binks having originally been conceived as a Sith, like incredible, uh, like powerhouse was true. That would make me like it more. I think it would, I, because it's always the one you least expect. <laughs> ah, like the Nazis. <laughs> so, speaking of villains. Uh, like this story comes from an imperial perspective, and you play uh, Sergeant Gentala, who is the squad sergeant of Squad Four in the 79th Platoon. And yeah. th- they're imperials; they fight for the Empire. And do you think of your character and the other characters in this as villains? No, because in the context that you've placed it. They're trying to uh, to overthrow something that had become quite corrupt. So, so the idea behind it is attractive. So I get it. It's just when is that tipping point when 
the Empire becomes fully, full-on evil. I mean, I know we have stormtroopers and, you know, they're just Nazis, obviously. But, like, I just the right now I'm totally buying that these people are in it for the right reasons. You know, it's interesting when you keep bringing up, like, Germany and the Nazis in the Second World War. I it, and well, I say yesterday that, was yesterday was Yom Kippur. So what are you going to do, right? <laughs> well, I was when I was writing it. One of the books that I read is this book called Blood Red Snow, and it's about a guy who fought for the Germans on the Eastern Front. And right, anybody who knows anything about the Second World War knows the Eastern Front was the worst part of it. Like it was, yeah. it was a war of attrition. It was brutal. And he taught. He talks about how how he he joins up and he's like 22 years old and he's got all these these high hopes and he believes in the in the greatness of of Nazi Germany because he doesn't understand what Nazi Germany is until right. he gets there and then he gets exposed and it's like you really get the sense cuz he wrote it by using his diary that he kept against the rule against the rules he kept it on right. the inside of his coat and so he wrote his diary out and then he wrote the actual book in his 80s and he kind of gives a new perspective to what he had written 40 years earlier you know and right. i found when i'm putting this piece together it's i want to have the same idea of somebody who we joined because it was the right thing to do, but we didn't know everything else that was going on at the time, you know? Right, right, right. Until you're actually burying that death pit in, you know, St. Petersburg to throw 20,000 bodies in. You're like, it's fine. This is the right thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're like, oh, maybe not. Yeah. Now, when you're voicing a character like Sergeant Dentala, how do you come up with a voice for a character like that? Well, this one was straightforward because she's, a, I mean, she's basically a sergeant, drill sergeant, like, you know, she gives orders and that's the, the flavor of the character. So I do a lot of video games. Um, I've done a bunch of work for Ubisoft and there's a ton of characters like that. So immediately you have like a bank of sort of voices that you'll use as your go-tos because you know you can sustain them over a long period and you can shout for hours in that voice and it's fine. So it's just basically my voice but kind of sterner than normal, not just English stabby but like, you know, another level of stabbiness um, and just no nonsense. So like the character just informs itself because it's, you know, she's pretty straightforward as, as far as the context that you've given me so far. There may be layers but you don't need that right now. She's a, you know, she is what you see is what you get now when you're voicing are your eyes closed or are they open like are you visualizing things in your head not even slightly i'm reading the text i'm just sight reading and i go 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 because i'm used to delivering you know 40 50 pages of text for video games so you have to be an excellent sight reader so yes i get the context of the scene but then apart from that it's it's sight reading and it's a very interesting way that your brain develops when you do voice work where there's a lot of there's a huge volume of content like when you're doing audiobooks or like when you're doing video games with video games it's worse because you'll only get the script if you're lucky you'll get the script the day before and you'll at least have read it before you go in the booth but there's plenty of times where I've been handed the script 
the morning of the session because I get there like 20 minutes early and I'm quickly leafing through and the director will tell you you'll get to a new scene and they'll give you the context so that you get where you are and then you just go but then also that's a directed session where somebody's saying you'll give them three like we call it ABCs we'll give you an A read a B read and a C read and then they will tell the engineer which read to mark to flag which is the one that they want and they'll give an alt sometimes an alternative read or if they'll, they don't, they really don't like what you're doing, they'll give you a note to change direction. So it's very, it, you get through a huge volume of work that way. And I play mainly world characters in video games, so we're talking they need to get through the volume. These aren't set pieces necessarily. If they are, we'll spend some more time on them, but otherwise it's just, you know, call-outs that you'll hear during battle. It's it's very contextualized Like stuff. if I'm playing Assassin's Creed, walking through the streets, I'm going to hear you talking to somebody in the background. I can't possibly comment on that. <laughs> um, I have NDAs up my ass like you wouldn't believe, but possibly. Maybe. that's You're in the right ballpark. All right. Okay. Um, well, just maybe. Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a possibility. Who knows? But, yeah, Who knows? Who knows? That's the thing. Like, like with an audiobook, I will read it and I will mark it up because a lot of the audiobooks I do have multiple character voices. But I will do that with like color coding. So like I will highlight the text in a specific color for that character. So I don't have to look at my notes. I know who that character is. I know what their voice is. But yeah, for this sort of thing that you're giving me with one character who's basically right now, she's just giving orders. That's not something I have to visualize. That's something I will literally go in the booth, I record, and I'm done in five minutes. And that makes it sound like I'm not paying attention. But that's what 25 years of experience gives you. Boom. Mike Bam, dropped. And, well, and when I dropped, I mean adjusted on the stand because they're expensive yeah, and we please, don't want to break please them. Please don't drop that, Mike. <laughs> yeah. I don't want my Sennheiser MK4 dropped on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if I think we kind of touched on this with Jar Jar Binks. If you could change anything <laughs> about the Star Wars universe, what would it be? Um, pretty sad about Han Solo. That's obviously pretty, pretty pissed off about that. Um, I just think the one, two, and three, oh, I don't know. It's because this is very revisionist. It's very like, oh, wouldn't it be great if, and I'm like, no, it is what it is, and you just move on. And you're right. I do need, my kid's 25. She has zero interest in watching sci-fi with me. I need I need a child of the appropriate age to watch them through their You can eyes. hang out with my okay, kids, man. Not, <laughs> not if we go into lockdown again um but but yeah it's uh i i wouldn't change anything i don't think i just love all of it i particularly love that ian mcdermott please god is still alive like he's still alive and he's still giving it large with the emperor that made me so happy um yeah i wouldn't change a thing i mean yeah there are things that irritate me but that's that's every you know so what well, like, what are the like? What, what characters do you think need a little bit more, a more, a little bit more screen time? There's the my biggest, the only thing that I would change really is, I would have found a way to include Mara Jade in things when they did the big yeah. switch. I, I, I will always say that the biggest loss in that whole thing was Mara Jade because they ended. I would have said Thrawn as well, but they brought Thrawn back differently. But they yeah. brought him back, Mara Jade. For anybody who's not familiar with the expanded universe, she was really the first student of Luke, although she was already trained by the Emperor to murder Luke and Darth Vader. <laughs> so she was really awesome. She would have been great to include somewhere. Right? 
Yeah. You see, you you have a much like you've thought about this a lot more than I have. Um, I'm just going to stick with please. Why Han Solo? Okay. I cry now. So, which time period of Star Wars is your favorite? I gotta say, I love Rogue One just because the um, that in between the prequels and the originals. That's so weird to get your head around, but like. The whole like idea of the resistance, where everything doesn't work out, people die. Like that movie blew me away, and I think that's why. That I mean, we all like a happy ending. That's great, and let's give everyone mad- medals except Chewbacca. Why, rude? <laughs> um, but, uh, for some reason, that movie. I really loved how they managed to create that time period. Um, so yeah, that would be my answer for that one. Marilla's actually got some choice scenes in episode seven. And like I said earlier, I know this because I was just working on them last night. So now we're going to talk with Sean and I'll start the exact same way. When did you fall in love with Star Wars? Was there a specific moment? Okay, so I grew up uh, in the very early 80s, and I remember one of my birthday slash Christmas presents when I was four years old was an ADAT walker, and it came with an ADAT driver, the uh, General uh, Veers uh, figure, I guess uh, you could say that that's who it was. Grandmaster Purcell. And the Snowtrooper. Um <laughs> And at the time, I was too young to have any sort of memories of what this movie was. But my parents called these toys Jedis. And I was really into them because an Adat Walker is cool. Like, you can open it up, you can put guys in it, you can make it shoot its guns. And it was one of my favorite uh, toys. And at the time, my mother was working uh, a job where she was away in the afternoons. And every Friday... Um, after work, my dad would take me to the Bramley City Center, which was across the street from my building, and we'd go to Consumers Distributing, and he would pick, he would let me pick a Star Wars figure from the catalog, and I would get it. So, I had a bunch of uh, Star Wars toys as a child without really knowing the context of what these things were, who these characters were. I just liked them. Um, and then I saw the movie sometime, or I saw the movies uh, sometime soon after already having a lot of figures and kind of contextualized, oh, okay, this guy's actually a bad guy. <laughs> so uh, I guess you could say I've always been a fan as long as I've been able to understand things. You know, that's wild that you bring up that you had the toys before the, seeing the movie because I'm the exact same way. I had a Darth Vader action figure. Um, when I was three and I'd never seen the movie. I just thought it looked cool. And I remember I used to pretend that it was a walkie talkie because he had buttons <laughs> on his chest. And so I would pretend he was a walkie talkie, but he was also a bad guy. Um, and I don't think that I actually, now this is like 1982 when I had that figure. And I don't think I'd actually even seen the movies until I was eight or nine, like years later. But there was an understanding of what they were based on the toys. And I wanted the Rancor so bad growing up because it had like a button in the back that made the arms go up and down. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. 
Yeah, I actually, I had some older cousins and they had a lot more toys. So I think the reason why my dad even got me into these toys is because I would play with them at my cousin's place. And they were older, so they, they understood the story and they were saying names. And, um, you know, so I, I had some understanding of the names of the characters. I just didn't know how they related to one another. And um, something that's interesting is one of my earliest memories of seeing the movie was at uh, my aunt and uncle's place. It was on TV. It was the, uh, the, the first one. Um, I thought that the reason Luke Skywalker was so special was because he had R2-D2 and the other pilots didn't. I was like, R2-D2 is the hero of this story. And I guess in a way he is. So, uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't understand the Force until I was about, like, eight or nine. And uh, and I remember believing that 3PO and R2 were actual real robots until I was, like, in grade five and I was reading, a, like, a science fiction book and I saw the actors. Like, How is that possible? 3PO gets blown up. There's no way a guy did that. So, you know... <laughs> That's a very roundabout way to answer your question. Now, I just need—I need you to get in closer to the microphone a bit when you're talking. Sorry, dude. Um, of course. But is this better? Way better. Now, yeah. you had mentioned General Veers and the Snowtrooper were your your guys. That was the in for you, and they're Imperials. They're bad guys, and you play uh, Zevin Murray, who is a communications officer. He's a radio operator because this planet where the story takes place, there's environmental issues that make having a really powerful radio transmitter necessary for the unit. And I'm wondering, do you think because your character, Zevin Murray, is an Imperial, does that make him a villain? Uh, No, I I think it's an interesting question because I think most bad guys, um, at least the interesting ones, probably don't think they're bad guys. They they feel like they're right. They're the correct guys. They're not necessarily bad. And to prove how correct they are to people who um, disagree with them, they will do horrible things or be part of, you know, horrible institutions because they feel that, you know, people will just have to come around to their way of thinking. You know, people will ultimately realize that I'm actually correct. I'm not bad. They're wrong. Um, so I feel like, I feel like in people's hearts, they never really feel that they're horrible. Um, as far as the, obviously Star Wars has the whole good guys versus bad guys thing. And then there's a whole lot of gray area. I feel that he falls more into a gray area. I think he's got a good heart. Um, but, uh, you know, he's obviously seen some shit and done some bad shit as well. Are you typing? No, that's Jen. I'll have to go somewhere else. (laughs) That's hilarious. She really types hard. So when you're voicing your lines as Murray, do you have a specific character in your head? Uh, Well, I I really see him as just an extension of me and how I might act in that situation or how I would personally say those lines if someone was, you know, not believing me or I was trying to convince someone of some, something uh, or otherwise just reacting to some sort of wild story. Um, 
do I have a character in mind? I kind of, okay, this is going to be weird, but I kind of picture um, Brody from Ball Rats. <laughs> That's a great character, though. <laughs> like, he's annoyed. Uh, you know, maybe he doesn't necessarily want to be there, um, but that's, uh, you know, he's got his place and he, you know, if there's something he enjoys about being where he is, um, but there's a lot of people who annoy him around him as well. And, and also he's, I, I feel like he's got this uh, sarcastic, uh, I don't want to say sense of humor about him, but he, he just is kind of like a, a bit of a sarcastic Eventually, I'm going to warn you, though, things are going to get pretty dark for Murray, because like what you say is correct. He's kind of like uh, he's a moral center for the main narrator character. You know, he's going to be a guy who really sees him through all the chaos. Yeah, I look forward to seeing where the story goes and also uh, you know, expanding upon this character a bit more. Now, if you could change anything about Star Wars as a whole, what would you change? Um, I would like to see more characters be able to use the Force. I think it's weird that uh, the Force is so mystical. Um, and the Jedi have been around for like hundreds of generations, but we still see most people aren't able to use the Force. And I'm not sure if that's a take on whether, you know, you could say most people are not enlightened. Um, but I think more people should be at least Force-attuned or Force-sensitive. But I think we kind of saw a little bit of that happening with the new trilogy. I think Finn... Uh, probably has uh, force uh, powers um, and could have become a Jedi, uh, but the story just didn't go that way. Um, Which is unfortunate. Can we just say that? Like, can we hit it on the head there? It is yeah. was a massive, massive lost opportunity for me. Huge. Mm-hmm. My, dream, been- my dream for that character was that he and Ray were going to go on this journey of the Force together, and I had hoped that they would become sort of like a duality of the Force, and one would go dark, one would go light, but they'd meet in the middle. I wanted to see that Mara Jade, Luke Skywalker balance, you know? And I'm not saying in a romantic way. I'm just saying, like, do something with the Force we haven't seen before, you know? Yeah, and I mean, we we did get to see different uses of the Force, like uh, healing uh, people or uh, also flying through space, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I think, to me, what makes Star Wars interesting is uh, obviously the characters, for one, but also just the things that Jedi are able to do. And because they're able to do it, they are supposed to be, um, you know, the best of the best, like, you know, they're leaders in a way. And I feel like we don't really see that. It's like, oh yeah, that person's a Jedi, whatever. And there's not really a lot of uh, emphasis placed on on that in some of the stories. What I really do like, though, uh, recent Star Wars, of course, is uh, the Mandalorian. And I like being able to 
explore stories that are set within that universe or that galaxy that have nothing to do with the Skywalkers or mm-hmm. Jedi, for instance. I feel like the movies are a little too Skywalker heavy, um, which is uh, weird to say, but it, it's always nice when you uh, pick up a comic or one of the expanded universe novels or even uh, Mud 79 and explore different people or the lives of different people in this universe and see how they all fit together. Now, which period of the Star Wars universe do you like the most or do you feel has not been explored properly? Hmm. That's a good question. I, I really like the original trilogy uh, period because like that to me is with the most exciting stuff is happening. And maybe it's because I grew up while that was still the only Star Wars that that you could actually consume. Um, but I, I'd like to see more stories actually within that same timeline, like what other people are doing. And I think uh, when Shadows of the Empire came out and it kind of bridged the gap between Empire and Jedi, it was neat to see what was happening. Um, you know, because at the end of Empire, um, Boba Fett takes Han Solo away, and then at the beginning of Jedi, Han Solo is already at Jabba's palace. So it's good to see that the Rebels didn't just give up. Like, they kept trying to get Solo back uh, between those two films. Um, and I, I like seeing stories that happen between um, the bigger adventures. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to still tell those kinds of stories. You know, if I were to pick a Star Wars movie that is, like, hated and loved, The Last Jedi is on there, but I also feel Rogue One is a movie where you either love it or you hate it. Where do you fall into with the Rogue One category? I quite liked it. I've only seen it twice, um, but both times I really enjoyed it. Um, I really love that Max uh, Nicholson is in it. He plays such... He's always so awesome right, in anything that he's in. Um, but I also like that it got to show off a bit of the darker underbelly of the Rebellion because in the original trilogy, you know, the Rebels are the good guys... Uh, obviously, and they've got this enormous task ahead of them. They've got to destroy the evil empire. But you get to see in Rogue One that not all the good guys are entirely good. I mean, you see Cassian just take someone out in an alley because he's afraid for his own life. And this person's not necessarily a bad person. This person has helped him. Um, but he has to do what he has to do to survive. So seeing that kind of duality is uh, always interesting to me um, because like I said, there's obviously good guys and bad guys, but there's a lot of gray area in between. And I think that's what makes uh, these stories interesting is seeing how, um, you know, the heroes are still capable of bad things and the, the villains are also capable of good things. You know, the, the, the Last Jedi is the Star Wars movie that became a lightning rod for fanboy hatred and, and people are very – which speaks volumes about how connected people are to the franchise. I'm not saying in any way that I condone that type of childish, stupid behavior. But people always ignore one scene in The Last Jedi that I think is – Probably up there in the top three most brilliant things ever done with Star Wars. And that's Canto Bight. Like, I legitimately believe 
that the rebels and the empire are both the same coin. I don't think one is really any better than the other because at the end of the day, it's still the same people that are in power and are making lots of money. Yeah, I, I feel that that scene, probably the, the lesson or the, uh, the message of that scene gets lost uh, on a lot of people because the scene has a lot of maybe wacky or spectacular visual stuff happening. But the fact that Rose uh, introduces him to this world or like peels back the curtain and says, hey, look, these guys are, you know, they're horrible people. And then um, the, uh, the code breaker that they end up hiring, I forget what his, uh, his name is in the movie, but he basically peels it back a little further, saying, like, good guys, bad guys, what's the difference? And, yeah, you see that the arms dealers are making money from both sides. It's obviously uh, a big commentary on our own world and uh, the people who fund uh, military operations around the world, you know, people buying their weapons from the same companies. Um, and it, it is a very interesting uh, thing to think about. And it's kind of, it, it is mentioned, obviously, that is happening in that scene. So, in your head, where do you think Mud 79 is going? I actually have no idea. I think I think stuff is like terrible stuff is about to go down obviously. Um, but uh, I I really I don't know where you're going to go with this and that's what makes it interesting for me to to hear each uh, each installment. And can I just say like when you first asked me to be a part of this, I was like, yeah, I'll do this. And I had no idea what it would sound like or who else was involved. And I'm just blown away by the, the voice talent, the production, and also just your storytelling in particular. Um, uh, just being able to visualize something uh, based on just you explaining it. I hope more people discover it and uh, check it out because it's uh, it, it's kind of a perfect way to experience Star Wars in a different in, in a different format. Listen to Sean. Go back. Give all the episodes a new listen. Tell your friends, your family, everyone. We got some time to chew through the last six episodes before the new ones hit on October twenty seventh, which is the same week that Mandalorian season two drops will begin marching towards the thrilling conclusion of Mud 79 as of October 27th. Also, uh, if you've got any questions about the series or things you'd like to ask the voice actors, don't hesitate. Drop me a line, okay? I'll be there, chum, just for you. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to Issue Zero so you never miss an episode. Uh, While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks to your awesome messages, the contemptible harpy of a producer has allowed things to keep going past Arc 1, maybe all the way to Arc 2 and 3. Just keep asking questions, keep being involved, because the more you let me know you love it, the more likely it is that I'm going to keep going as far as I can. Uh, Be sure to check out the show notes if you want some more information about what you heard here today, as well as links about all our guests, 
Uh, we're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, everywhere else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter at Fearless underscore Fred, also on Instagram. Uh, you can message me, email me, issue zero at CuriousCast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dio Velasquez, our harpy of a producer. Sound design, final production is by Rob Johnson. Got so much more respect for that guy because sound design is very hard work. See you next time for more Issue Zero.